You are listening to a broadcast of Dublin First Baptist Church, Pastor Cameron McGill in Dublin, North Carolina. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist Church and the Lake Church to hear from God's Word. There are two types of sermons that you'll hear when you come here. One is an expository message. Not to be confused, as the old preacher one time said his favorite kind of message was a suppository message. An expository message, those are dangerous. An expository message is simply verse by verse, word by word, exposing the truths of a particular scripture. Like last week when I preached on Jesus turning water into wine, little bit by little bit we just broke it apart. Other messages are topical, thematic, where we look at a particular life lesson that we might take with us and say, this is really practical. This is something that, while it may not be deeply, uh, you know, theologically, uh, you know, digging deep, but it's something that I need, I need to to live by. And that's what this morning's message is. It is a, a topical, a thematic message on our legacy. Little did I know, as I began preparing this a couple of weeks ago, how fitting it would be for today and the events that have taken place in the life of our church this week. As we begin thinking about this text in James 4, we talked about light being but a vapor. There are two truths I want us to consider. Two truths I want us to consider. Number one is the brevity of our life. The brevity of our life. I'm amazed how quickly life is passing. The other day I was driving down the road and you're not going to believe who I passed. J. Thomas McGill driving a vehicle and Leah peering over the dashboard. The way they fuss and fight, it's amazing. I'm convinced one of these mornings I'm going to get a call saying that Leah's been left on the side of 87 somewhere. Uh, Jay just couldn't put up with it anymore and just put her out. But it's amazing to think that my little Jay is driving. I don't need to convince you of how brief life is. But to understand the importance of making every moment count, we need to understand, number one, the brevity of our life. The other day I was in Lumberton and I saw a sight I thought I'd never see. Because all my life I've heard that you'll never see a hearse towing a U-Haul. Honest to goodness, that's right there near near Chick-fil-A getting on the interstate in Lumberton. True story. But beloved, I want to tell you, you will take nothing with you, but you will leave much behind you. Number one, the brevity of our life. Number two the longevity of our legacy. Think about that. While life is brief, our legacy is not. In fact, many people are remembered centuries after they live for both good and bad. I wonder what will be our legacy? What will we leave behind? What will people be talking about when we have long since passed this earth? My prayer is that we would not be like one of my favorite actors of all time, Mr. Ed. You remember Mr. Ed, a horse, is a, co- a horse, of course, of course, and no one can talk to a horse, of course, unless, of course, that horse is the famous Mr. Ed. You know, Mr. Ed, well, he was feeling rather down one day, and he was talking to Wilbur and said, nobody will even miss me when I am gone. Nobody will even know that I have died. He said, in fact, Wilbur, when they bury me, all my tombstone will say is this. Here lies Ed, dead. 
friend, may I say to you, we are living amongst the living. It is time, if not before, that we get serious about our legacy and what we will leave behind and the influence we will have on this world. God has placed us at this particular time, at this season, at this appointment in history, not just to occupy space, but to truly make a difference. I want to share with you a tribute to someone that certainly made a difference and I hope will challenge us to do likewise.
faithful to love and faithful to my call and live it with integrity and with love. I'm going to ask you to do something that we've seen thousands of people do all over the world. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment tonight to be sure that you know Christ and that you're living for eternity. Amen. This morning we don't exalt Billy Graham. We honor him and exalt his Lord, which is exactly what he would want us to do. As we watched that video, many of us were reminded back possibly to an event that we attended or many times watching on television, this great man of God. But here's the deal. You and I have the potential of being just as influential in the lives of people as Dr. Billy Graham. The message that he carried is the same message that we've been charged to carry. I want to give you three things this morning. I know that's no surprise to you, three things. But I want it to be something simple that you can carry with you and implement and say every day, here are some challenges before me, but this is what I'm going to commit to. Three words. Number one is the word loving. Number two, the word living. And number three, the word giving. Say that with me. Number one is loving. Number two is living. Number three is giving. Simple truths, but let's look at what the Bible has to say. Number one, ours is to be a legacy of loving. First John 4 verse 19. We love Him, Christ, that is, because He first loved us. In other words, He taught us how to love. If a man said, well, I love God, but I hate my brother, then he's a liar, because he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he possibly love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God loveth also his brother. You and I are to be the conduit that the love of Christ travels through to a lost and dying world, to the world around us. We are the only evidence of the love of Christ. I submit to you that we are living in a generation today when lost people think about God, they don't think about love. They think about judgment. And many of them think about someone, they even question whether or not He exists. There's no greater proof of the existence of God than when His people demonstrate His personality. So think about His legacy, our legacy of love. Number one, I believe it involves a love for the Savior. Now think about this. There's many themes that we see in the Old Testament and in the New, but there's probably no greater theme than this theme of love. In the Old Testament, it's called the Shema, S-H-E-M-A, Shema. And it literally, in the, it, for the Jewish people, this would be the very first thing they would learn. For us, it was like John three sixteen. But the Jews would learn this. They were to, and we are to, love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We translate that now into the New Testament. Jesus meeting with his disciples and said, What is the greatest commandment of all? What is the first commandment? What is the one commandment that all other commandments bow to? And it was the Shema. It was that we were to love the Lord thy God with all our heart, with all our soul, and with all our strength. How very important it is that we realize that the love that we have for God will stem everything else that is to be. When we come into worship, we worship Him because we love Him. When we serve, we serve because we love Him. Whether we're serving in the nursery, in the choir, 
here in a, in a class, on a committee. It's all coming from a heart of love for the Savior. I meet many people from time to time who have a great love for their church. Some who have a great love for their pastor. Others who have a great love for their Sunday school class. Some for the rituals of their uh, relationship with their church. You know, whatever it might be that their religion means to them. The late Dr. Billy Graham said himself that he believed probably greater than 75% of the people uh, attending church on a weekly basis in America had never truly been born again. How heartbreaking to think that it could be that someone could come to church and attend and, and maybe even grow up in church and, and know all of the practices of their denomination and religion and yet they've never truly experienced the love of God. It is the love of God for us. It is the love of God in us. It is the love of God that we have for Him and then demonstrated to others. May I ask you this morning, do you truly know the love of God? I believe there are so many folks out there today that have a, a skewed idea of who God is. When God chose one word to describe Himself, He could have chosen holy because He is. He, he could have chosen righteous or, or just or mighty, or awesome, because He is all of that and more. But when God chose but one word to describe Himself, He chose the word love. Beloved, I do not want to paint a picture of God that He is not holy or righteous, that He is not a jealous God, but above all, He is a loving God. My prayer is that you have personally experienced the love of God. Listen, friend, you and I could not have been saved if for God so loved, the world did not take place. Thanks be to God for His love. The love that we now have back for the Savior. We love Him because He first loved us. Because we have embraced His love, we return, we reciprocate that love back to Him. A legacy of loving. When people look at us and when people remember us, they need to remember and know about us. They loved God, we're not perfect, never going to be. We're going to fail and make mistakes. But at the root of it all, there needs to be a heart of devotion, a heart of love. Love for the Savior. But secondly, there also be, needs to be love for others. Now think about this. We can get a hold of the idea of loving a God who loves us so much that He sent His only begotten Son. We get that. But when it comes to loving others, that gets much more complicated. When Jesus began talking about the subject of love, and He asked His disciples, what's the greatest, the number one commandment? Uh, they immediately re rehearsed and recited the Shema. Love the Lord thy God, all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy strength. But then he said, wait a minute, there is another commandment equal to the first. Now, it almost sounds like Jesus is contradicting himself. What he is saying literally is there's one more that's equally as important as the greatest commandment of all. In fact, I submit to you, to the world around us, it doesn't matter how much love we might have for God unless it's demonstrated to others. It will never reach another heart with the gospel. So number two, there's love for others. The second command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love others as you have already been loved. Again, I find myself many times meeting folks and, and they do have the love of God. They, they do thank God for His mercy and His goodness and His grace. And, and they seem to have a, a true devotion to God in their heart. But it stops there. It never spreads to anyone else. 
Now think about this. There are two particular groups of people that we are commanded in Scripture to love. Honestly, at times I'm not sure which one's the hardest to love. Number one are the saints of God. I don't like that word much because I don't feel like a saint. And, uh, you know, that's just a, a mighty, mighty big word for us. But basically, number one, we're commanded to love saved people. Now, I want to tell you, that may sound like one of those duh moments that we'd say, well, preacher, of course we're supposed to love. We're the body of Christ. We're supposed to love one another. Well, there's been a common theme through the whole New Testament from Acts 6, four chapters after the church was birthed till now. And that is that the church had a very difficult time just getting along and loving one another. I say this with a broken heart. But as I travel every day, I pass by churches one after the other after the other that are struggling and broken and feuding and arguing and so, so much bitterness within the congregation that they're very unlikely to make much of a positive impact with the gospel of Christ because there's such um, uh, you know, distrust and disunity and disharmony going on in the doors of the church. I wanted you to do something next time you're on the road going from place to place. Notice how many church signs you will pass. It'll have the word pastor and then a blank. Now every once in a while God calls a pastor to leave and move on. But when the average stay of a Baptist pastor in America is a little bit less than two years, there's something terribly wrong. When over 90% of churches in our denomination in this country are plateaued or declining, something is wrong. When the church has more people show up for a fight than for a revival, something is desperately wrong. And I wished I was lying to you. Someone called me this week and said, what's going on at such and such a church? I went by there. I've never seen so many cars there on a Wednesday night. They wanted to get together and fight. God does not bless when his children are not getting along. Let me tell you, I've got four kids and they sometimes get into it, you know, and, and, and all that kind of things. I mean, y'all might not have realized that, but the preacher's family is pretty, pretty normal, right? Any of y'all never had an argument in your house? Well, I want to tell you it happens. And I, may I tell you, nothing makes me and Tiffany happier than when we see our children getting along. I sent her a picture back at around Christmas. Torrey Hole Park. Love Torrey Hole. They've got a disc golf course. If you've never played disc golf, you need to do it. It's good exercise and it's free. All right? And I took all my kids and we were playing disc golf. And I, and I, I had somebody, they took a picture of me and all my kids. And we're kind of embraced. And, and they're smiling and they're laughing and they're having a good time. And I sent it to Tiffany. And she simply re responded, that makes my heart smile. Makes my heart smile. Parents, you get it, right? But I want to tell you, when there's pots and pans flying and the football's going through the house and there's not a game but they're trying to play dodgeball, you know, and, just, and they're uh, hollering and screaming and carrying on like that, it breaks our heart. Because we want our children to get along, amen? Listen, God wants His children to get along and to demonstrate the love that he has for them. So number one, the saved need to love one another. But secondly, we also ought to have a love for sinners. Now this is something I'm learning. 
The older I get, listen, when I was in high school, I was so programmed. I grew up in a very legalistic background. And I mean to tell you, I thought if it would cause a smile to come to your face, that it's got to be wrong. I was convinced that the Bible was nothing but a bunch of rules that you had to follow, not even strictly enough. Listen, I'd take the Bible and I'd say, you know what? I believe God wants us to add a little bit to it. I was a senior in high school. I was walking through the halls of Haynes Mall in Winston-Salem, and everybody I passed, I judged them. I judged the women for wearing breeches. I judged the men for having hair that was too long. I remember one guy walked past me, and he had a beard, long hair, and was wearing flip-flops, and I just started judging him in my mind. I felt like I was superior, better than him, and God just showed up at that moment and said, Big boy, who do you think you are? My son wore sandals. My son had long hair and a beard. I reckon if he'd walked by, you'd have judged him because a whole lot of people did. Listen, I don't mean we ought not call right, right, and wrong, wrong, but I mean we need to get to the point that when we look at a lost person, we see a per... Ain't he she pretty? Got more hair than me. You want me to? I got away with kids. Come here. Uh if you do good, you'll make me look good. Hey. What's wrong with you? What? What? I know, I'm funny. She's laughing at me. She'll let you. All right, well, we gave it a shot. Here you go, baby doll. I did that to Tiffany, too, when they get doing that. I'm always amazed. Everybody's like, oh. Can never see any human walking. What was I talking about, Caleb? Where was I? <laughs> kind of got you. <laughs> All right. Don't feel bad. I don't remember either. Here's the deal, y'all. I remember now. The world around us, they don't need to be told they're lost. They don't understand that. Listen, they need to be told they're loved. I get criticized sometimes. The older I get, they say, well, you know you let anybody come over to your church. I heard you got this and I heard you got that. And the more they say it, the more like Jesus I feel because when I read the scriptures, I see that he didn't sit around the temple saying, aren't we better than that crowd out there? I saw him going out there and sitting in a well with those they mocked him for sitting with. I see him looking up into a tree of one who was hated and said, I'm going to your house. I mean, it's amazing the picture of the love of Christ for lost people. Lost people today need to know that there's a loving God. Yes, there's, there is it's true that there's right and there's wrong and there is sin and sin can only be dealt with one way and that's through the love of God coming and manifesting itself on the cross of Christ that he might truly uh, buy our pardon. He didn't say you get right and I'll die for you. He said I'll die for you so that I can get you right. There's got to be a love in the church for lost people. I wonder do we have friends who are lost? We should that didn't mean we go hang out with them and party with them and carouse with them. Absolutely not. But it means that we daily are looking for people. Daily looking for people who do not know that Jesus loves them. I shared the story the other week about the song we sang at the Lake Church a few weeks ago. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. girl walked out and said, I never heard that song before. It was beautiful. There are people who do not know that Jesus loves them. I had a thought this week as we were planning a service. When it comes my time to go, I want 
I want the people that are doing my arrangements to pick six or maybe eight. I don't really need eight, but let's pick eight. I want to pick eight pallbearers who are lost so they can come sit right there and hear the gospel. You know, my heart is not to play games. My heart is not just to come and say, well, you're pastoring a good church for people looking for a good church. My heart is not just to swap members with other churches. My heart is to reach lost people. And the only way we will is by letting them know that Christ loves them. And the only way they'll know Christ loves them is when we love them. Demonstrate that love for them. There's a legacy of loving. My, my, we got to go. Number two, there is a legacy of living. This is, this is just really, you know, one of those moments that just I pray will get a hold of you. Are you living for Jesus? The old hymn, living for Jesus. Are you living for Jesus? Or are you just kind of existing? You know, the Bible says in Colossians 3, 23, get this, don't miss it. And whatsoever you do, that's broad. Whatsoever ever you do, do it as unto the Lord. We've got a group here of our mobile missionaries. I'm grateful. There's six of them here today. And, and um, they literally are, are at the lake for a month serving the Lord by serving us and working at our camp. And, and sometimes people will go by and say, how do you get all these volunteers to do things? I say, I don't. God just keeps sending them and praise God for them. I'm grateful for you guys and so many others. But I had a group here a while back and they were working on a pier. And this lady at the end of the day, I said, thank you so much for what you have done. Thank you for what you've done. And she said, well, we haven't done much. All we did is put some boards on a pier. I said, oh, no, 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 no. I said, because here's what I see in that pier. I see that pier as a place that one of these days some teenage boy or teenage girl is going to walk out there after hearing a gospel message and out there on that pier that you just put new decking boards on, they're going to look up into the stars and they're going to pray that the God of heaven would come down and save them at that moment. So you see, you are creating a place of salvation for somebody one of these days. Now that's a legacy. That's awesome. So whatsoever you do, if, if, you're, if you're out building a deck for someone so they can get in and out of their house, if you're out serving meals up here at Second Chance Church on Tuesdays and Thursdays, if you're here making dresses on Monday morning, whatever it is that you're doing, that's part of that whatsoever. So how are we to do that whatsoever? The Bible says heartily. In other words, with all of your heart. Think about this. I did a little research. Here it is. Do you know that your heart beats 80 times a minute? I got mine up to like 300, but most of y'all is about 80 times a minute, right? My heart is beating 80 times a minute. That's amazing. That is 4,800 times every hour. 115,200 times every day. 42,048,000 times every single year. If you will think about that, by the time you are 80, your heart will have beat 3 billion 363,840,000 times. So when the Bible says that you're to, to, to do whatsoever heartily, you're to use every single heartbeat to give it back to the Lord. Listen, He's the one that's given you the ability to have that heartbeat. He's the one that's put that, 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 that very uh, ability in your body to do something heartily. Give it all back to Him. How do I do that? Preacher, I need something simple. I need something that I can make some changes. Number one, establish that you're living for a purpose. You're living for a purpose, for something and someone bigger than you and me. The poet said this, Only one life and twill soon be passed, and only those things for Christ will last. 
I'm going to live with the purpose. Rick Warren made very famous purpose-driven life, purpose-driven church, purpose-driven youth ministry, purpose-driven everything. Listen, I'm to live my life realizing I have a purpose. You know, when I, re when I watch that Billy Graham video, I think, man, I wish I could be like Billy Graham. I wish I could go in, and preach in Madison Square Gardens in front of thousands. I wish I could go to, 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 to China and preach to millions. And, but the fact of the matter is that's not God's purpose for my life. God's purpose for my life is right here and right now, but to be faithful to accomplish His purpose where He's called me. Number two, priorities. Not just a purpose, but priorities. How do I arrange my life? By the way, if you're too busy to serve God, you're just way under too busy. I want to just go ahead and get it. If you want to know what's really important in your life, you can look at two places, two books. Two books of your life, and you'll tell what's really important. Number one is your calendar. What are you spending your time doing? What are you spending your time on? And number two, your checkbook. What are you spending your money on? Right? Where am I spending my time? Where am I spending my money? Those are my priorities. You look at that. When the average family today is spending more on their cell phone bill than on their time, something is terribly wrong. When the, the church becomes the place that I go to when there's nothing else to do, people have gone and said, Preacher, I, I'm sorry I'm not going to make it today, but we've got this and we've got that and we've got the other thing. So many things that are taking precedence and priority. I need to have a purpose, something bigger, someone bigger. Number two, priorities. Get it straight. Number three, I need to be living with passion. Passion, what does the Bible say? Heartily as unto the Lord. Does he deserve our best? When we talk about Christ upon the cross, it's called the passion of the cross and the passion of Christ. Are we living with such a passion? I submit to you that if every single Christian and if every single church in Bladen County were to live heartily as unto the Lord, there is no telling what would happen even here in this community. I love to see people give everything they have. When I was a little boy, love that. When I was a little boy, maybe y'all give me a Snicker bar. It always worked with mine. Bless your heart. Mm -hmm. When I was a little boy, I dreamed every single March of the same thing. I dreamed that my beloved Wahoos. Half of y'all have no idea what I'm talking about. I dreamed that my beloved University of Virginia basketball team would make it to the finals, would even make the NCAA playoffs. But all through the 80s, never, never. But last night, but last night, they not only made it to the ACC championship, they whooped them Tar Heels. <laughs> and they're not, for, if you're clapping, you're not a Virginia fan, you're just an anybody but Carolina fan, I know. <laughs> and I'm not, a, I'm not a Virginia fan just because they won. When I was a little to school and I had all my Virginia garb on, my Virginia sweatpants, my Virginia sweatshirt, my little Virginia book bag, and the kids would take my Virginia book bag and throw it down the stairs. I can still hear it now. I was scarred. And last night I just wanted to go back and see those kids I grew up with. It used to pick on me terribly because they were, Virginia was not as good as Carolina or, or Duke or State or Wake Forest or anybody else for that matter. 
But I tell you, to watch a ball game and see people, whether it's basketball or soccer or football or anything, and people are so passionate about their sports, passionate about their hobbies, passionate about their interests, and then they come to church and it's as if you're begging them not to fall asleep. Begging them just to give a little, begging them just to serve a little, begging them just to do the least that they possibly could. Oh, beloved, if we would be so passionate and realize that we have only one life to live. My prayer every day is, God, please keep me healthy. God, please keep me strong. God, God, please give me energy. God, please give me what I need. Not so that I can have it, but so that I can give it back to you. I'm 43, which means most like I'm about middle-aged. And I want to finish better than I started. I want to finish giving it everything I've got. Beloved, will you establish today and agree with me that we need to have a legacy of living? Whatsoever you do, do it heartily. Yesterday's history, tomorrow a mystery. Today, it's a gift from God. That's why it's called the present. I'm done with the third point and we'll go home. And that is a legacy of giving. Acts 20, 35, Jesus establishes, he says, it is better to give than to receive. Listen, two types of people in this room. And if you'd be honest with yourself, you know which one you are. You're either a giver or a taker. We're living in the first generation ever in our country where there appear to be more takers than givers, and that's a dangerous scenario. One of our investors at the lake recently said to me, Preacher, I would love to see people try to outgive God. I love that. Outgive God. God, you've given me so much. I want to give. I want to give. Well, how can I give? Let me give you two things, and again, we're done. Number one, personal investments. You're saying, oh, he's going to start talking about money. No, not at all. Here we go. Personal investments. Jesus said this, I am being daily poured out as an offering. My life is being given daily. Like a drink offering being poured out. Listen, are we willing to be poured out into the lives of other people? Are we willing to be emptied of ourselves? It's not about me. It's not about my wants and my wishes and my desires. But I want to invest myself personally in the lives of other people. Do we have any CEOs here? You must say, I'd like to be a CEO one day. Here's, the, here's my new acronym for CEO. Christ's encouraging one. I want to be an encourager. I want to be that person that comes alongside like Aaron did Moses. I want to be that one that comes alongside like Barnabas did for Paul. I want to be that one that comes like Paul did for Timothy. I want to be that one that encourages and that builds up. Can I tell you, life is very discouraging. The ministry is very discouraging. It is amazing how far some encouragement will go. When I feel like I'm just about out of steam and out of energy and someone offers a word of encouragement, what does it do? Encouragement. It puts courage in us. It, it enables us to step forth and do more. And we have that ability to encourage other people, to motivate other people. I want to give personally. I want to give of myself. Whatever it is that I've got, my gifts, my talents, my skills, I want to give them. I've been entrusted with these things that I might use them for the Lord. Number two, there needs to be some eternal investments. Some eternal investments. In other words, daily I need to ask myself, will this matter 100 years from now? Will this matter 100 years from now? There needs to be a transition. Here it is. If our goal is to be successful, nothing wrong with that. I want to be successful. You know, I want to be able to take care of my family, have a nice home, all these kind of things. Nothing wrong with that. But our goal needs to move from being successful 
to being significant. And don't, don't let me lose you there. I know our time's up. Moving from being successful to being significant. Some of the most significant people in my life never had much. They never accomplished much that would be noted on the front page of the newspaper. Understand there was a picture on the front page of this week's Bladen Journal of an old retired golfer. Y'all might think it's me, but I'm pretty sure it's somebody else. Nobody in here gets the Bladen Journal, no doubt. <laughs> Listen, what you do for other people may never be recognized. You may never get a plaque. There may never be a monument. But there needs to be some significance. Here's what we need to do. Psalm 37 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Two questions. Have you ever given your heart to the Lord? And number two, have you ever fully given your life to the Lord? Giving your heart to the Lord means when I die, I go to heaven. Giving your life to the Lord says, I'm going to put it all on the line. God, you can have it all. It belongs to you. I've been bought with the price. I'm no longer my own. God, I want you to take my life and I want you to do something truly amazing. Not so that I would get the glory or so that I would be remembered, but that my legacy might be your legacy, might be reflected of who you are in my life. Will you commit today to just fully lay it on the line? Lord Jesus, my life's in your hands.